There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. Hiya, thanks for downloading the show. My name is Susan Kalman. I'm a comedian and this is my podcast, Mrs Brightside, a cheerful take on depression. Yes, comedy and depression. Bit of a weird one, isn't it? The thing is, I like to make misery funny and I think other people feel the same way. And I wanted to make this podcast because I think we should all talk more about our mental health and remove some of the stigma surrounding it. I've invited eight amusing people into a basement in Soho to bear their souls to me. I didn't have any questions. It's not a traditional interview. I just wanted to chat to them about what they thought about their own heads. There's no parameters, there's no definitions. It's just coming from them and me. In this episode, I talked to comedian Jessie Cave. Why aren't you in therapy? Exactly. Have you you been in therapy? Well, the problem is I feel like it's dating. I don't have time to date therapists because isn't it like you find the right one? I don't have time to date and find a therapist. I have to choose one. Now, I don't know Jessie, and there's something quite strange about inviting a stranger into a small, dark room to talk about their most intimate secrets, but we did it, and it's a really fascinating discussion of anxiety and what makes her tick. Thanks for doing this. No, you're welcome. I'm very excited to talk about... Depression and anxiety. (laughs) Please introduce yourself okay. to people who are listening to the podcast. Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, I My name is Jessie Cave. Um, I'm an, I don't know how to describe what I do for a living to anybody. Um, I guess the main thing I do is uh, illustrations, doodles, doodles about love. Um, I do comedy and I also sometimes act in things, but that's very rare mm-hmm. because no one wants to employ me. Um, <laughs> because I refuse to do any roles where I can't wear glasses or be myself. So, because I can't act, really. Um, so I have quite a limited <laughs> career. <laughs> I automatically like you almost more than anyone I've ever met. Uh, to like, I love... Do you, you've got an agent? I, I do. This is another How thing. Does the I've been going for like react? 11 years, and it's like one of the first thing people ask. They're like, do you have an agent? I'm like, no. yeah, I do. My, no, no, I mean that. But, my agent... I love because she knows I won't do certain things. Yeah. And that is why I love her. Yeah, I'm because, the same thing. Um, and I just meant because some agents, some people I know as agents aren't like that. I believe you have an agent. You're a very successful agent. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm really not. It's more that if you see, if some people said to their agents, by the way, I don't really like doing the following, they'd say, well, you kind of have to. Yeah. And the fact that my agent doesn't, I love her for it. I, I've only just got to the point of confidence where I've been able to say, I just, I'm done with with trying to, to fit myself into a mould. I'm just never going to fit. And I think comedy has just given me this new 
lease of being able to say no to things because I'm like, well, okay, I don't really mind if I'm not going to get a an episode of whatever where I have a few lines where I have to not be myself and actually have quite a difficult time doing it because I find it so painful really to to do because I'm awkward and I don't enjoy it and comedy brings me it's given me a, a way of making a little bit of a living by being able to be myself and that's just I feel so lucky to be able to do that mm-hmm. um, and I, I genuinely don't know what I would be doing if I didn't have that outlet now because I do have this need to perform somehow and um, I wasn't getting that as an actress, so I'm, I feel very lucky that I'm able to do a little bit of both. I I have depression and anxiety of, and they vary. Sometimes I'm more anxious, sometimes I'm more depressed. But I have I'm blessed with having both <laughs> of those particular mental health ailments. Um, and comedy saved my life in a lot of ways, I think, because it allowed me to express myself. I felt very frustrated in my life before that. I have depression and anxiety. What are you bringing to the party, Jessie? Well, I wouldn't say I have depression. I have extreme anxiety, and I have done since I was born. Um, i very paranoid um, person, just, again, since I was born. Uh, and certain, I, I fall into certain holes very often. Um, and then I can come out of the hole and be fine for a while, and then I can fall back into one. Um, I... It's all um, for me. The cure is definitely is is working and focusing more on myself um, and stopping being on Instagram. Um, I can cure myself and heal myself sometimes, but um, when things are out of my control, control is just such a huge need for me. So um, I I usually all my problems stem from lack of control over a situation. Um, and I'm, I feel very lucky. I have two babies with two small children. Um, and since they were born, um, I've had to stop being so neurotic, um, on a daily basis, um, and have to kind of contain all my, my paranoia and jealousy and, and anxiety attacks into very small bursts because I don't want to inflict that on them. So that's been good. But um, I'm I've gone through quite a difficult breakup, um, uh, and that's uh, I'm I'm in the midst of that. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm uh, yeah I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not mentally that great at the moment. But yes. I'm using the bad um, to, and I'm 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 aware of the the holes. Well, if it makes you feel any better, Jesse. I'm not mentally in the best place either. So this podcast is going to be a stormer as two not very well people have a discussion about mental health. Great. Now, a couple of things that you said there really struck a chord. Control is a huge issue in my life. I feel happy if I'm in control. It manifests itself for me in almost my new shine. So, food. What am I eating? When am I eating? And if I can say to my wife... We're going to have lunch and we're going to have dinner and I know what we're having. I can relax for the rest of the day. One of the worst moments of my life on our honeymoon, we were in Venice and she said, should we just go for a walk and see what there is? And I became very upset because that's not, to me, that's horrible. Mm, I completely relate to that. You know, because control makes me happy. Mm -hmm. And I I know it's a difficult thing, but I can become upset 
if I don't know what I'm eating. Yeah, I, I, I have a similar thing um, with food like that too. Um, like I eat almost the same thing every single day. Uh, and it just is like, it works. I like it. Why do I need to change it? And when 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 it's thrown, like gigging is difficult because like you don't eat. I you, where do you fit in your evening meal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have such a so whenever I'm gigging quite a lot, I always am like I, I get quite. I have to factor that in. I have to be prepared to. I have to prepare my mind to be like right. You're not gonna have you're not gonna have dinner tonight, but it's okay. You can have it when you get home. Or you can just have an earlier dinner, mm-hmm. and just have to like counsel myself about lack of dinner. Um, I um, the control thing comes into play with me, um, but I in my relationship with the father of my children, um, I would want to control his life. Um, I would micromanage his career, or, or try to try to be his manager. Mm-hmm. I think that's my dream role in life is to be my boyfriend's manager and I thought I would be like his the best manager um but he did not want a manager <laughs> he had a manager <laughs> who was great uh so that that I started realizing those problems um and that eventually did 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 break us up um and so navigating being broken up with children and the lack of control I have over what he's doing when he's not with us uh while still being quite in love with him and um, heartbroken and uh, and not being able to know what he's doing with his free time. He hates me calling it free time. I always say, oh, you know, oh, you can go and be free now. <laughs> he hates it. So we decided to break up. It's not just me. But anyway, um, is is the lack of knowing what he's doing in that time. So he was just at the Melbourne Comedy, Melbourne Comedy Festival for five weeks. And so I had them on my own. And uh, I was great. I was very sane for four weeks because he was communicating with me and I just need a text saying how was bedtime and I'm fine because I'm like well that he, he that shows he cares he knows that it's actually quite difficult looking after two ch- young children you know that's great is he's being he's being he's being present with us even though he's on the other side of the world but then in the last week he went a bit able um and I I did have a full full breakdown I just needed a text to say um so basically, I got. It's a, I'll cut the long story short, but basically, I got a paddling pool. It was a really hot day, and um, I they were playing in the paddling pool, and it was like a really, it was it was a nice thing that I'd done. I got them a paddling pool, so I sent him a, like a lovely photo of them in the paddling pool, and I waited for a response. Like I just wanted, oh, that's really sweet. Where did you get the paddling pool from? I, that's all I needed, but I didn't get any response. So I sent like five more cute photos of them in the paddling pool. Didn't get any response. Didn't get any response. And I just, I this is the, this is day one of the breakdown. Um, and and basically, day five of the breakdown was me just screaming via FaceTime. Why didn't you ask where we got the paddling pool? <laughs> the paddling pool was sim- symbolised, you know, like who was he with, what was he doing, um, everything. But he just thought I was going mental over a paddling pool, but it wasn't about the paddling pool. I have a huge amount of self insight into my own anxiety and depression. It sometimes isn't helpful, like. <laughs> I know why I'm doing it. Mm. I, I absolutely know why I'm doing it. Like you're saying, the paddling pool is just kind of a metaphor. It's, a, it's yeah. something you know what you know, mm. but that sometimes actually makes it worse. Yeah, definitely. Because you have a comprehension. It's like watching the start of an episode of Casualty. Mm. You know exactly what's about to happen. Mm. You can theorize, but you can't stop your mind from doing these things. Yeah, and um, 
Yeah. It usually, if you have someone to talk to in real life, like a human right there, it usually isn't as bad. But when you're on your own and it's like with a phone or online or whatever, it's it, it you suddenly just feel like you can go insane. So I do feel like I just have to try and monitor m- myself and not be alone. Um, but yeah, it isn't helpful. I know what I'm doing, and I, it's, it's, but I only know what I'm doing kind of after making a lot of mistakes. The mm-hmm. same, the same mistakes of getting into these, like sending horrible, aggressive text messages, manipulative, and um, not being able to stop sending them because I'm so hurt. But the only way I can express that hurt is by being mean and and controlling via text. Mm-hmm. So I only know after seeing the damage those those downward spirals have have. have has caused um, be able to now know the the destruction and what why I haven't been necessarily uh, like healthy. Yes, I only know that now. I want to explore the negative before we get onto the positive. So forgive me if I go into something else just now. I get the control. I mean, I control because I don't think anyone can do anything as well as I do. <laughs> Which, it's true. Well, I I think it's true. Yeah, and I, th- I, it, I have to consciously stop telling my wife what to do <laughs> because she's older than me. She's lived a life before she met me, and surprisingly functioned. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Her life yeah. didn't start when I met her. Yeah, she drove a car before I met her. <laughs> she managed to live a life, and suddenly I come along as if she's the most stupid woman in mm. the world. But it's because she does it wrong. Mm-hmm. She's accepted it now. Mm-hmm. Paranoia, I also get not in terms of necessarily the relationship, but in terms of of a wider life. Mm. Paranoia, paranoia slash jealousy, is one of the most destructive emotions I think you can possibly feel, and it's a really difficult one to keep a hold of, isn't mm. it? Jealousy, uh, thinking that that I imagine whole stories and and I I play them out of my head. I, I, I convince myself that what I'm imagining is real. Um, I I then it, it so it almost does become real because I'm I'm living with it. So that so I I don't know how to I don't know how to navigate that at all. I I um I think it's 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 difficult with things that aren't love based. But I think for the love side of paranoia and jealousy, I I don't know how anyone is okay with. I don't. I'm not being very clear at all, but I um I get very jealous. I think is the bottom line. Yes, and I've never been a jealous person, so I don't know why it's suddenly come out. Don't know. Don't know why. Well, the thing is, um, I I've had depression for as long as I can remember, and my anxiety has changed. It's quite a funny thing that my the basis of my anxiety has changed. I'm much more anxious about dying. D- mm. Things. I'm fr- I'm frightened of everything. I'm literally frightened. I travelled all over the world. I've done many magnificent things. And now I worry before I go on an escalator. Mm. And so for me, my anxiety has has developed into just a fear of things Mm. and lifts. And I wake up with panic attacks because I'm in a hotel and I don't know where I am. And I think it can develop. This is the thing. Our brain is a remarkable thing that can feed into itself and our anxiety develops into Mm. something else. In terms of your comedy, though, as I say, I found comedy. 2013, I did my first show that I actually enjoyed about equal marriage. I saw it. I loved it. Oh, thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> Thanks very much. But that was the first time I liked comedy, really, mm. because I started talking about 
things that were important to me. In terms of comedy and expressing yourself, how has it helped you to do shows about you? Oh, it's just, it's transformed my life. Um, I basically, I, my, my only, I've only started comedy after, it's kind of a, a transition from my doodles, which I started in 2011. I started doing a doodle a day on Twitter and I started getting a following for them. But basically I started doing them to try and get the attention of a guy that was rejecting me. And I thought, well, if I can do some funny doodles about love and relationships, maybe he'll think they're so funny and great. He'll be like, he'll just fall in love with me. Um, I didn't realise that actually they were quite bitter and um, not not like fall in love with me. The, that, that wouldn't be the response. They'd be like, is she okay? Kind of response. But they hit a nerve with lots of girls. They re- really responded to them because they were about rejection, about fe- like unrequited love and um, not getting what you want. And, and I just kept going. And suddenly, because I was getting what I needed from this outlet, he became irrelevant very quickly because I was feeling fulfilled. Um, so with comedy, it was an extension of, of that really. And I started, I, I only speak honestly on stage about my life. I can only speak about very small things in the scale of the world, but like they're about relationships and, and love. And, um, I, it's just so helpful because it's, it, I can see clearly. So I'm, I'm doing a new show and it's about this breakup. Um, I've, I've, I like, I feel bad talking about him so much, but I've asked his permission. It's fine, and I feel like I'm. I, I feel like that's okay. I feel like I'm mm-hmm. not being horrible about anybody. It's just I feel like I have to tell the story. Um, but I've written it down, and it's like I can almost I can trace. Hopefully, I want I want to get better. This is the point of this show: is that I I want to be okay um, by the end of it, and I want to show people that you can come out the other side of a quite a difficult breakup and and be okay and move on. I'm not there yet, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping by the end of Edinburgh, I will be fine. <laughs> so I, I'm using it. You should do a follow-up podcast with yeah. you at the end of August and see whether or not any of this has worked. But yeah, I I, I feel like that's, um, I feel very lucky that I'm able to do that kind of thing. Is this your first Fringe? No, it's, doing a show? It, will be my, it will be my um, third show. Okay. Is this the most personal show you've done? Um, yes, this will be, yeah, yeah. What's quite interesting, having done personal shows uh, the equal marriage one wasn't as personal as I think I did another one which was about depression I found myself tremendously boring Jesse. <laughs> see after you've talked about yourself and how I genuinely at one point because it was about depression and all that stuff at one point went wow 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 look at me I'm so depressed because <laughs> I was like Jesus listen to yourself Calvin yeah. That in itself the process of listening to your own and I'm using the word whining I'm using the word whining no one else's mm-hmm. whining mm-hmm. night after night. Eventually, I was sick of myself. Yeah, because when I could hear myself, I was like, it was such an interesting experience. As you say, to write it down and then see it mm-hmm. constantly, see it. I really sickened myself. But then my it probably whining. got you got you better. It got you stopped you whining after it did. It did, which is what I'm saying. It's like doing therapy every night without without anyone. The only thing is no one challenges you. Mm-hmm. That's the the only bad thing about confessional shows is the audience don't challenge you. Yeah, they necessarily. don't necessarily. No, 
Although I do find it funny because um, sometimes when you write something down and it's just so normal for you to say that kind of sentence yes. about your own personality and you just don't think it's necessarily funny, but you've written it down. And then you do it and you get a big laugh mm-hmm. because it's so bizarre what you've said about yourself or how you feel about yourself. And you realise that laugh is because it is ridiculous. And yes. you realise you've just been, you've normalised how like unhealthy some of your my behaviors are mm-hmm. by getting that big laugh. So I'm like, oh yeah, this is this is crazy. And the man, it's like a mantra. I feel like if you do do it at night after every night. So I really want to feel empowered. I I don't really like saying that word, but like I do want to feel empowered and not feel like I need a man to be okay. And that's 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 kind of the point of the show. I want to be okay and enough on my own. I feel like if I say that every day, I will hopefully. It, I will swallow it, hopefully, by the end, and mm-hmm. I will be okay. But at the moment, I'm not there. I'm a desperate, needy wreck of a human, but I'm hoping by just just saying that line every day, I'll mm-hmm. be okay. As I get older, um, I, I'm a, I desperately want to be kinder to myself. I desperately want to be nicer to myself and stop being so harsh on myself. And one of the things is actually accepting I'm needy. I'm desperately needy. <laughs> and so... Self-help groups, self-help books often say things like, you shouldn't need someone else's love. You shouldn't need the affirmation of people. And and it's bollocks. <laughs> it's, it is. It's bollocks. Because actually you do. Yes. And it's fine to need that. If I didn't need the affirmation of a group of strangers on a Friday night, I'd be telling jokes to my cat. <laughs> I need that. Yeah. And I think it's fine to say I need that. Yeah. And when people really like what I do, it makes me feel better about myself. Definitely. Definitely. And I think accepting what is perceived as a negative thing. So being needy is perceived as a negative thing because you should be able to stand up and just, I don't need anyone. But seeing that you do need people as I've got older, it's fine to say that. Mm -hmm. I do need it. Yeah. I need someone to love me. Yeah, and you you need someone to be okay with being needed. Yes. Like, so it's fine to be needy. It's fine. I, I think it's not helpful to be needy when you're in love with someone who actively does not want a needy person. Yes. So that's what I'm trying to work out. Not that that's what happened to me, but I think I need to find somebody that is going to appreciate all of my awful things. (laughs) But I don't know if I ever will. Maybe I I never will. Maybe. I don't know. Well, from my perspective, what I think is being a needy person myself is I met someone who I listened to. When they said, you've got to calm it a wee bit, Calman. <laughs> this is just, you know, you're being a bit much. Mm-hmm. That I went, okay, yes. I think it's getting to the stage. It's almost the same decision I made when I gave up smoking. People told me to give up smoking for years, but I had to be ready to actually give mm-hmm. up smoking myself. That I know my behaviours and I know I should change them. Because I I can spot when I'm going, yeah, I'm being a real dick. I'm being an absolute twat at this precise moment in time. Mm. But that came far later on Mm. in life. Yeah. Because the worst thing I ever did, Jesse, was try and change myself for someone else. Mm. That was the worst thing I ever did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have, I've, I don't know who I am. (laughs) I don't know who I am. I, I, um, yeah, I have, I have tried to change myself. I draw, I do a lot of drawings about that too. Um, because, and and unfortunately, I have tried to change people I've been with um, very, very subtly. 
um, you know, like a T-shirt here, um, mm -hmm. not drinking here, like, you know, don't eat that there. Like, and it's awful. And I, I just think, yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to be completely secure in, in yourself and all of your bad things and, and, and find somebody that you love those, all of their bad things too. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can be independent, six, you know, happy people as, together and apart. Um, I did four years on my own, four years single with no one. Is what I did because I thought I need to series of destructive relationships, and I thought this is just not great. So I spent four years on my own, um, learning to be okay by myself. Mm. Um, but I mean, I mean, you've got kids. I, I yeah, no, this is the tricky thing, and I um, so I'm I'm in a a very difficult position because uh, it's quite difficult to move on when you've got two children yeah, together, and absolutely. you and you still love the person. That's <laughs> not ideal, is it? It's no, I mean ideal. it's not. It's not. I was speaking um the other day with um uh, a comedian called Hannah Gad. Had Gadsby yeah. show Nanette. Don't know if you ever mm -hmm. saw Nanette. No, but I heard so many things about it. It's quite an extraordinary and very personal show. I've seen Hannah's shows for years and years and years, and this is the most personal one where she is brutally honest and sometimes not very funny about what she's saying. And it's strange because what you, the show you're doing at the Fringe is classed as a comedy. It'll yeah, be yeah. in the comedy <laughs> section, right? So when we're doing shows, we have to try and make them funny. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what it is. And sometimes I find myself being quite flippant about something that's actually very desperately sad because I know I'm trying to make people laugh. Mm. And it can be a positive and negative. But as you say, when you when you talk about a behaviour and people laugh and you go, shit, is it really that weird? Yeah, yeah. That's just what I do. I People do usually come up to me afterwards and they really do worry for me mm -hmm. uh, and they don't think I'm okay which I don't want to continue. I would like people to believe I'm okay. I also find it funny that um, I, so many people have asked me if I'm in therapy. Um, like people are like, oh no, whenever I'm, I'm saying something about an, a, a bad night or um, some people are like, you know, well, just when you speak to your therapist, just tell her that you need to talk about this and this and this. And I'm like, well, I don't have a therapist. And they're like, what? <laughs> I just look like I have therapy. I, I, I come across like I am in, I've been in therapy forever. Let's be a stop you then. Let's talk about this for a second, Jesse. Why aren't you in therapy? Exactly. Have, Why? You, have you been in therapy? Well, the problem is I feel like it's dating. I don't have time to date therapists because isn't it like you find the right one? I don't have time to date and find a therapist. I have to choose one. <laughs> okay. So to you, the choice between dating and therapy? Yeah, I either have sex or I find a therapist. I'm going to say therapy is more important, Jesse. <laughs> I would disagree. Say, I'm going to say therapy is more important. If if I'm being honest with you, if you think that's your choice, you need to go to yeah. therapy. Well, I'm just hoping someone does the legwork for me. So I've, I've had a lot of people say, look, let me give you a really good therapist number. Um, but no one's actually slided a little card with their number on. They're a bit, they don't want to give up their therapist. They don't like want to the share their the, good therapist. My favourite scene in, scene in the, therm, the Firm with Tom Cruise. Oh. The guy says, how much are you going to pay me? And he slides a piece of paper yeah. across the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> I want that. I, I've always wanted to have a job where I do that. Yeah. Would you like to be on a panel show on television? How much? And just slide. <laughs> <laughs> I'll literally do it for nothing. Um, okay. <laughs> I've been to therapy. You are correct. It is like dating. Mm -hmm. I've been to many therapists, some of whom were awful for me. And I finally found one. And it did take time to find someone who I felt I could talk to. And I went to 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. CBT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy about changing behaviors. But I have been to some terrible therapists. Mm. I did actually. I had a. I went to a terrible, terrible. Th- well, that's that's mean, isn't it? She wasn't terrible. It's probably my memory. It was when I was fifteen. Something bad happened, and I I was sent to a therapist. Um, and it was not fun. And I think when you have an experience as a teenager, they're so heightened. Those you remember things so much more vividly from that age uh, than anything. Well, for me and. And so I have I have bad mem- association with therapy. Yep. Um, so I think that's probably the underlying thing. But again, I don't have time to address those big things because um, I have to pick them up from stay and play or write a show. I don't have time. So, But I do know that's vital. So I'm hoping this show will be therapy. And I'm hoping that after I have time to find a therapist... Uh, with the money I earn from the show. <laughs> I you know, it's it's a beautifully positive outlook. I'm gonna do a show at the fringe, the most stressful place on the planet yep. for a comedian. Afterwards I'm gonna be solved and I'll have made a lot of money and I'll get myself a therapist. Yep. So I mean the goal. I can't see any point where this is gonna fail, Jesse. Yep. I just wanna get successful <laughs> enough to be able to afford a therapist. A so, weekly therapist. Here's a here's a thing to unpack. Therapy doesn't always work for people. Uh, I think sometimes because they haven't found the right person to talk to. So it is my my take on mental health is that no one can ever tell you what to do because you have to find your own way through the icebergs. It helped me after a while when I found the right person. And I would always encourage people to go to therapy because they are, they are trained to help with anxiety and depression. But it, it's like it's like going to the gym. You have to find time for it. Mm-hmm. I I would say I would say your choices shouldn't be therapy or dating. <laughs> I, I I mean I love it. I love it. I have I have I live with my mom and my sister, um, which was which was really important. So after the breakup, I lived alone with the two babies in a very small flat for a year, and I I did it was it was it was very intense. Um, and so then as a we we decided we weren't going to get back together so we i moved in with my mom and my sister and it was great cuz i suddenly had more time and more help which was great but um so i i ended up talking to my mom and my sister and using them mm-hmm. as the the sounding boards and the therapist they've got bored with <laughs> me mm-hmm. me on the broken record being like oh, i'm heartbroken and 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 so i feel like i i am at a crunch point where i need to ha- i find different different sounding boards which i might need to pay for um, or you could come and do a podcast. Yeah. 
talk to a complete stranger about it for yep. approximately 45 to 50 minutes. Yeah, this is helping. Is it helping? I should pay you. <laughs> no, please don't. It's the BBC. I'm not allowed to accept it. Um, I think a lot of people, it's more common than you might think that someone has had a first initial bad experience with therapy that has put them off. Mm. I'm exactly the same. I had a, a therapist when I was in my teenage years who actually probably gave me post-traumatic stress disorder <laughs> from that experience. Yeah. And as a result... I didn't seek help for 15, 20 years. Yeah. Because it, I was so terrified of it that I didn't then go to therapy for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So it's very common. It's a big thing, therapy. How do you find the right person? You're trusting a person with your, a stranger with your most intimate thoughts. Mm. I also, I... I'm a, I, I, my cure is always work and doing and getting and and... and I don't like kind of wallowing for too long it, and I feel like if I just, just get up and do something, I feel better. And that's kind of, it's not really, it does work quite a lot of the time, but um, that's probably, so when I went to see this, this therapist and it wasn't helping and we were just talking about the same thing over and over again and she wanted to kind of unpick it and unpick it and unpick it, which I guess is is a lot of therapy too, is really finding out what is the the thing that happened and how what the other things that are related to it. And I just felt like it was not practical. I felt like it was, it was okay. Well, I've just I spent an hour. I could have, I could have gone and done something. I could have gone. I got some something from a shop, which would have made me feel better. Like I, it's not practical. I I use this time badly, and actually that relates to what I'm writing about now. With, um, I feel like it's indulgent. I feel I feel I I know guilt is is heavily equated to motherhood, and people talk about guilt all the time. But like I feel. I'm very, very guilty if I'm ever away from them for anything. So anytime I'm away from them, I feel like I have to be doing something worthy, like I'm either working or I'm having sex, like something I can't do when I'm with them. So like I have to make that time, which has meant that dating has been very stressful because it's I've had to kind of compact a lot into kind of a couple of hours um, or working hard in a couple of hours. So I, 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 I use ta- time as always a worry for me. I find it interesting that you think that it's indulgent to spend an hour talking about your own mental health. I know, exactly, yes. Because it's not indulgent. No. If you had uh, popped your shoulder and you went for an hour, a physiotherapist, that wouldn't be indulgent. No, but I have a lot of injuries. I I should be going to a physiotherapist. (laughs) Jessie, look, mate, we've only got 50 minutes. I don't know how much I can do for you. I have an ongoing ankle injury. Right. Um... A shoulder injury I've had since 15. Okay, and do you get them? No, just live with them. Okay, so what I'm getting, (laughs) what I'm getting, Jessie, is that you're a woman who doesn't necessarily spend the time that she perhaps should on herself, whether it be physical or mental, anything. No, uh, I think that's because of my mum. My mum is like one of the best women ever. But um, she's, I'm one of five children and my mum doesn't, has never had any time for herself. So I feel like, uh, I need to not I need to I need to do the same thing mm-hmm. and actually I think part of my getting better will be ha- making my mum have more time for herself so I'm trying to be like you're going swimming today and you're going to enjoy it mm-hmm. so I'm trying to make her have more time for herself which might make me have more time for myself so my parents are war babies mm-hmm. grew up after the second world war at that point what do you mean you're upset about something? People died in the war. Get on with it. Yeah. In a nice way. My parents are beautiful. They're lovely people. There's no question. They're gorgeous. Now, so I grew up in a household of, what's your problem? You work hard. Uh, you, you don't drink very much because then that gets in the way of work and you get on with it. Mm-hmm. 
And it took a long time for me to say, that's fine, but I am not that person. Mm-hmm. I am a needy, self-indulgent person. And I need to uh, talk about it and I need to help sort myself out. Now, I went to CBT for a while to try and solve the... It was the the anxiety and paranoia issues, mostly, of why didn't I get that? Everyone hates me. I'm never going to be successful. Everyone's laughing at me, mm-hmm. essentially, to try and change those behaviours with empirical evidence. That's mm-hmm. what we use. So I'll be crying in the living room and my wife will come in and say, I'll say, everyone hates me. What's the empirical evidence? I saw a Facebook post. Yeah. <laughs> which has set me off. Yeah. Do you find, I mean, social media is a difficult thing for me. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily strangers calling me fat, but the people in my own world. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely, because everybody is, even if they're doing posts about, oh, I was, I'm bad today oh look at me here's a beautiful photo of me looking bad um it's it's just not real it's not real um and it doesn't usually make anyone feel better um so my tactics with it um are to to post and then run away don't look don't don't stay on it for too long just do what you need to do get away um that doesn't work um and then with I have, I have a, I mean, I, I could talk for, for a long time about um, the the traps I've fallen into um, with insecurity and looking at random people's posts and then suddenly thinking, oh, this person is, like, with with my ex-boyfriend thinking that he's, you know, he's he's married to her secretly and I just don't know and, like, awful things. Like I, um, so I think the only, but it has also helped me, like, it really has, it's like, absolutely enabled me to have a career mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i feel better sometimes when people write nice things like oh i relate to that doodle or i came to your show i liked it like it does make me feel better so i i i, I embrace it and i also am i'm wary of it um and i try and be as honest as possible because i don't want to feed into this 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 toxic pool of of lies which it is and so I, I do try and portray a real self on my profile um, so that I don't make anyone ever feel like anxious about what I'm posting. That doesn't mean that I don't, you know, I, I'm judging anyone else by the way they post. But mm-hmm. I do think, I, I feel like honesty is always the best policy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're writing your shows, because we've talked, it's meant to be funny. <laughs> Sometimes I would say things because I knew I was going to get a reaction from an audience, a sh- not a shocking reaction from the audience. But you, pl- you, when you're doing a show about mental health issues, anxiety, whatever it is, uh, people sit. They know, yes, they're like that, yeah. right? Okay, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Yeah. And it's quite fun to play with that. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is quite fun to play with it because yeah. how honest are you, and how much do you play with that? How much fun do you have with your own anxiety? Because it can be fun. We can have fun yeah. with it. Oh, I'm loving it at the moment because I'm. it's just such a release to say some of these stories about just th- things that have happened that have set me, sent, sent me crazy. Um, and to be able to say the story and for people to enjoy it and respond with like even just a... Like just hear them intake of air of like a gasp from the audience is a delightful oh, thing. Oh, it's so lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I'm I'm loving that, and it's like, I, f- I feel like 
I, I don't know how I don't know how good I am, and I don't mind if I'm not good. I that sounds and that's that seems. Um, I, I want to be good, obviously, mm-hmm. but I that's not my. I mean, that's not what I'm why I'm doing this. I'm doing this um, as a because I want to share something, and I'm I. It's nice when people turn up and appreciate it but I yeah I wouldn't do it I wouldn't do it just on my own I guess on a stage but um I just people acknowledging that this happened and it's actually quite funny I think when when something happens and it's awful and it's it's sad and it's also quite funny I need to I need to write about it and I need to say I I just kind of I didn't say that clearly at all but basically I feel there's a point to saying this stuff on stage, the real stuff. I feel like there is a reason to share it. Do you think, in a way, uh, I'm not saying it normalises madness, and I say I'm, madness is a term I'm using as a generic term for sometimes what's in my head doesn't feel normal, but then when I say it out loud and people laugh, it feels less dangerous. Yeah. So my own head feels less dangerous when I say it and then people laugh. Yeah, so it makes I, me feel safer in my own head. Yeah, I, I, I can see that because it's almost like slightly addictive when you get a response and you're like maybe living to, to have another story where you're going to be able to share it and people are going to gasp. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm not that mental. <laughs> You'll get there, Jessie. I will get that. I am the poster girl for <laughs> insane comedy. One day, hopefully one day you'll be 43 and still on stage whining about yourself. I find it fun. I find it fun. Mm-hmm. I find I embraced my anxiety and depression. I think it makes me a better person. Mm-hmm. I think it makes me a more caring person, a more empathetic person. I think it makes me better as and, a person. And and people love you for it and, and will see themselves in you. It's not a selfish thing, no. what you're doing. It's like you're making people feel better about their own things. Mm. And they've come out to see that and feel better. And I think that's great. I think if I had... It was such a shameful thing, mental health issues. It really was. Mm. Uh, when I was growing up, um, as I say, not necessarily in terms of the family, but in terms of generally, very much a stiff upper lip, get on with it, all this kind of stuff. And I think the more people talk about it and the more shows are done about it and the more... The thing is, after you do your show at the Fringe, people will go to the bar and talk about it. And undoubtedly, people will share things that they've never shared before with yeah. each other. And surely that's a good thing. Oh, it's so nice. Every show I do, I have um, people come up to me afterwards and be like, oh my God, I did that and I did something like that and can I just tell you? And they tell me some like really like incredibly like brutally honest stories and I'm always just, I, I, do, I, I do like the thought of, of prodding that honesty out of people. I like that because I feel like we'll be better if we're all more honest about what we do when we're at home and we're anxious and we're on our own and we're on our phones and we have mm-hmm. this time to, mm-hmm. to, to go into our dark place and we share it with each other. It's nice. Here's a question. I don't know what your answer is going to be because I've never asked you it before. That's why it's a question. <laughs> You're one of five children? Yeah. I'm one of three, youngest, best. <laughs> My brother and sister, whilst they may be anxious, are not like me. Are any of your siblings like that? I, I constantly think about genetics and why I've ended up like this. Because mm. I've been as depressed as long as I can remember. Why am I like this? And my brother and sister aren't like this. And no one else in my family really is like this. School. 
<laughs> yes, that is exactly why, Jesse. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. School. Because even if you're at the same... I really believe this because all five of us went to the same school mm-hmm. and each year is completely different. You've got 30 different... Well, however many kids in your on your year group. And my older brother, uh, Mr. Popular, big guy on campus, he had a good set of friends from day one and he's still got those friends. And I had... A, oof, I had... Like, everyone in my year was horrible. I had no friends. It was awful. Whereas my younger two brothers had... Actually, one of my brothers had a difficult year, group two. I feel like it's completely based on primary school. Also, I moved schools a lot. Like, we all... We moved schools, like, a couple of times. Um, I feel like that... I I feel like it... It's just disastrous if you've given a bad luck, bad luck with your peer group mm-hmm. in terms of you just don't. I didn't connect to anyone, mm-hmm. uh, whereas my brothers and sisters did, maybe more than me. I don't have particularly happy memories of my school days, and undoubtedly, so much of my my anxiety, my lack of confidence, all of this comes from school days, not being popular. Now, I've spoken to people I was at school with subsequent, and they don't have the same memory I do. Mm. And I don't think that matters because your own memories are true to yourself. But undoubtedly, I think a lot of it comes from school. Definitely. And feeling isolated and lonely, just desperately lonely at school. Yeah, But that's interesting what you said um, about your fr- the people you spoke to not having the same memory. Because I feel like with a lot of performers, um, even if you didn't know you were going to be a performer yet... Mm. Um, I, I think people would say the same thing about me at school. I, I would say, oh, it was awful. I hated school. Like, oh, no one liked me. I was such a loner. And I was, whereas I've been, I've been around friends who I was at school with. And I'm like, no, you were really popular. Like, everyone mm. really liked you. What are you talking about? And I'd be like, well, no, because I think that's innately, you don't feel like you're part of the, the pack. And so mm. you want to try and perform for the pack and dance around them and then... But you don't ever feel included, and so that's that's your mem- residual memory of being. I've like- never felt like my entire life has been attempting to be the cool kid at school. <laughs> that's really all my life is. Yeah, and even at the fringe, I want to be the cool kid in comedy, and mm-hmm. I've never been the cool kid in comedy. I've never, I've never. People like my shows and they come and see my shows, and that's great. But part of me wants to be in a basement in a disused castle doing a really arty show <laughs> about you know stuff and things like that. And and I'm not, and I've never felt like the cool kid, and that's from school. That actually a lot of my lack of self confidence comes from from those days, mm. whether or not they are true in mm. inverted commas, they're my truth yeah, of how I felt mm. at that point. And comedy is one place where misfits, eccentrics, and weirdos can still exist, and then all compete and compete <laughs> to be the cool kid at school. But what I like is though we're all a bit strange. I feel it's I feel it's more of a a level playing field in that the the prettiest girl doesn't always go to the prom in comedy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the, the prettiest weirdest. girls not welcome. No, we don't <laughs> like them. We like the weirdos and the yeah. strange people. Yeah, yeah, it's and that's great. why comedy is a much more inclusive, lovely place yeah. for people like us. But then you would also you would feel like insecure in the comedy world about not being the coolest or the best or whatever. But then you yeah. the difference is as opposed to school, you would then go and speak to, to a comedian another comedian and say oh I'm feeling really anxious and they'll be like me too let's yeah. talk about it so, I've never it's a, people always say to me is there truth <laughs> okay so, I'll tell you this okay. so I was backstage at a comedy club once and there was a new comedian I, was, I wasn't even going that long but I felt like an old hack anyway and she came in and she went oh, I'm just really worried about tonight because my set's about my mental health issues and I and I was like sweetheart if that's your hook <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but 
we're all mad. <laughs> if you think that having a mental health problem in comedy will make you stand out, you've picked the wrong thing. <laughs> Being normal and sane would make you seem like a freak in comedy. But if you go to the fringe, almost everybody's shows shows us what we truly are. Which is why I love comedians. Mm-hmm. So you go and see, you know, Felicity's lovely show about needing to go to the toilet all the time. <laughs> I love that kind of stuff. But even when you go and see um, Angela Barnes's show, you go to see Sophie Willen's show, whatever it is, there's always something slightly wrong with us. <laughs> but performing enables us to embrace that. Yeah. And that's why, like, you can stand on stage at the fringe telling a story about a breakup and behaving in an awkward way. And it, it's what you are. Mm. I think you can show people what what you are. Yeah, it's I, it's really great that we have this, um, and and it, I yeah I I feel like it will all be okay. It will be okay. It will be okay. At times things aren't okay. I hate flying. Passionately hate flying, and before I have to fly, I stand at the airport and think. I will know at 10pm I will stand in my garden and it will all be fine mm. Yeah, and I know it will be fine yeah I've heard um, I'm friends with Simon Amstel yes. and he I, he was going on to do a massive massive gig somewhere and I was like are you not nervous like that's just so many people what if you're not very good <laughs> what if you're not very good <laughs> and he was like no I just I just um, I just close my eyes before I go on stage and I just imagine myself doing a brilliant gig and everybody loving me and I'm I'm I feel happy and then I come off stage and it's all fine I just imagine that mm-hmm. and it's all okay mm-hmm. I think that's a nice way to think about going on to do a gig mm-hmm. you like go on optimistic that's going to be good that I mean I, I I've never done that. I've never done that in my life. Before. But I would like to try. I don't know what it'd be like to be optimistic about a gig before I start. Yeah. I think I would lose my <laughs> that Yeah, you need that. That kind of uh, being like a ninja waiting for something bad to happen. Yeah. Before we finish, hey Jesse. I'm going to talk to you after the fringe. I want you to know that, not for this podcast, but I'm going to find out if you're okay after the fringe because, and I want to know whether this works for you. Okay, good. okay, and I, I hope it you. does. And I, I would, I would, I would like to help you find a therapist. Thank I you. I don't know any in London. I don't live here, but I'm going to try and find you a therapist if you think that would work for you. I'm not pressuring you in your mental health. Okay. People are listening to this podcast. I think lots of different people. People who just listen to BBC podcasts. People who found it because it says depression or anxiety or whatever. I love podcasts. You found your Just love found them. They're such an intimate thing. They mm. are, people are listening to this in their headphones or whatever and they are listening to us having a conversation with them. And I like to say to people, as we've just said, if you are in a position where you're feeling anxious or depressed, it, it, will, get, it will get better. You may have to do something about it, but it will get better. As someone who has anxiety issues, is there anything that you would like to tell the people who are listening to this podcast, positive or negative, I I make no claims that this is a positive podcast. Okay, well, I think the thing that's helped me lately is um is is when I'm in a downward spiral of um, waiting for a text and thinking I'm 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 going to go insane and f- just feeling just so crushed um, with silence. Um, I, I think that I, I've just forced myself to turn off my phone and to not look at it multiple times in the night. 
and not I hide it in a place that I, I know I won't be bothered to try and find in the sleep in my sleep and in the dark um and and sure enough every morning that I've done that the, the morning after I felt better because mm-hmm. sleep and time does make everything better everything is usually a bit better in the morning mm-hmm. um and so I'm I'm trying to do that more and more now just like just just have faith that it's gonna it's gonna feel less difficult mm-hmm. if, if if you just leave it for a few hours um so that's it's not a very happy note to end on but just i'm just basically saying turn off your phone hide it mm-hmm. and get some sleep and get some sleep put it on vibrate though because you don't want to lose it <laughs> and then ring it and then think oh my god i lost my phone and i then- i would like for you jesse to have a magnificent fringe thank you but i would also like for you to know that it's not an indulgence to go to either a therapist or a physiotherapist to sort <laughs> out your long-term physical injuries, which you appear to have, it that it is not an indulgence, that your children will be absolutely fine mm-hmm. with you taking some time for yourself. Yeah, I would like. I would like that. If there's a gift to be deposited upon you, it is to not think it's an indulgence to take care of yourself, to give yourself time to take care yeah. of yourself. I will. Just need to find a good one. You do need to find yeah. a good one. After this podcast, no doubt you will be tweeted by people saying they're good um, psychiatrists or therapists. Don't necessarily trust them, Jesse. Okay. If someone tweets you and says, I'm a good Come therapist. Come meet me at a park. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily do that. <laughs> but I think, I think the best thing I've ever done is to say, I am allowed to have an hour a week where I work on my head. Mm-hmm. Because it will benefit everybody. Yeah. It will benefit everybody. Yeah. And my mum and sister can have a break. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll do that. Yeah. Thank what you. we'll do is we'll periodically check in with each other on a podcast <laughs> basis to see how you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, can I'd I come and that. see your show at the Fringe? Please, yeah. yeah. We might not broadcast this, but where are you on? I'm I'm on in a tiny, tiny room at the stand. Oh, the stand. Yeah, right. Stand four. I think that's it's... where I did my very first Ever? show, Jesse. Twelve fifteen in the afternoon. Really? Twelve fifteen in the afternoon. It was called. Maybe it is your fault. <laughs> that's a great. Twelve fifteen in the afternoon. The poster was me, like Uma Thurman from Kill Bill. And that was my first ever year at the Fringe. Really? My first solo show. Was it Stand For? Oh, wow. Oh, that's so great to know. And do you know what? Because they have lights on a stage now. They didn't when I did it. Really? The first Isn't it year. like a library or something? It's it's, like it's a... basically, it's a quite a large cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's grand though. What time are you on it? 2.30. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really like, I like little rooms. So I might have to... Do you know, it might be quite stressful for me to go back into that yeah. room, though, because I haven't been back in that room since 2006, Wow, 2006, maybe, Wow, was when I did my first show there. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I oh, my God. It. Yeah. And then afterwards, we can talk about our anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a great day out in Edinburgh. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. Jessie. Thank you very much. Thank you, darling. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcast from, and then you'll automatically get next week's episode. Next week, I'll be talking to Felicity Ward. I'm surprised at how many very happy, depressed people I know. I was writing about this the other day, and um, like the the people that go, the people that are shocked at other people. Um, look, well, let's just go straight into suicide. You know when someone suicides <laughs> and they're like, but he was so happy, but mm. she was so happy. It's like, yeah, no one wants to hang around a sad person. <laughs> like we learn tools so that you want to be near us. If you like the show, do leave us a review as that will help other people find it too. 
And if you want to get in touch, then you can email mrsbrightside at bbc.co.uk. And finally, we know this podcast talks about things that might have affected you or someone you know personally. If that's the case and you'd like some further info, head to the Mrs Brightside page on the BBC website and we'll put up some links to places you might find useful. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, Calman out. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.